And now it is my delight and opportunity to welcome our speaker for this morning, a woman with great passion, a wonderful, loving heart, and a gift to share her love with those of us who get to experience her. She is also doing some work mentoring at the women's prison, teaching, and always being a mom. Please welcome Reverend Connie Neeson. Here we are. So, did you notice how beautiful it is outside? Is the sun still shining? It was when I came in at 9.30. And the sky was blue. Is it still blue? Yeah. And, and I noticed that some of the leaves are still on the trees. And the beautiful colors. And some have fallen. And some trees are just green because they're green all the time. Did you notice how you felt when you stepped outside and you saw the blue sky and the sun shining? I want you to go to that place of warmth and beauty and recognize that as the seasons change outside, so too do the seasons within us change from time to time. And that's okay. Because we're all okay. So take a deep breath and simply go to that space of remembering your own beauty, your own perfection, And know that all is in divine order with you here and now. For it is all God. One mind, one heart, one soul, one body. It's all God. And I am that. I am that I am, Jesus said. Mm. So I take in the sweetness of this moment, this sweetness of remembering with passion, with delight, honoring that which uses me as an avenue to express itself in new, delightful, and creative ways. Today there is absolutely nothing that can stand in my way, no thought, no thing that can obstruct the infinite flow of this divine intelligence from inspiring me, from guiding me, from calling me into that perfect idea that it has for me. So I claim this good as my own, and I know that it spills into every area of my life. The relationship with myself, with God, with family, friends, colleagues, and even strangers. Today I stand as that radiant being, only here for love. Mm, It is so wonderful. I feel so good right now. And I remember this feeling. Every part of me remembers this feeling. I recognize it. And I know exactly how to bring myself back with one deep breath and simply remembering the oneness of all of life. For the activity in the mind of God is the activity in my mind. And so I step into that with ease and grace. 
allowing and accepting this truth of who I am. I am so thankful. I am so thankful for each and every one who steps up in service this day to make this day a perfect day for me to grow and learn more of who I am. Our greeters, our sound people, our musicians, the volunteers working with the youth, working with the video, working at the tables to share the wonderful information of who this center is. It's all right and perfect. It's all God in action. I am so grateful. I let it be. And so it is. Mm. It's wonderful to take a moment to remember. I want to begin this morning by sharing a little story with you. It's a story of three lawyers and three engineers, and they're going off to a conference and they're taking the train. The lawyers go line up and they each buy a ticket, and the engineers go and buy one ticket between the three of them. And the lawyers kind of look at them and say, well, what's that all about? And the engineers say, oh, just wait, you'll see. So they get on the train, the lawyers each take a seat, and the engineers all cram themselves into the bathroom. And then when the conductor comes around and asks for tickets, you know, the lawyers give their ticket and they, they are, of course, doing due diligence. They knock on the bathroom door and a hand sticks out with the ticket and uh, the conductor says thank you and goes on his merry way. And the lawyers are like, that was so clever. So then after the conference, they're back to the train and the lawyers have decided they're going to follow the lead of the engineers and they buy one ticket for the three of them. But the engineers don't buy any tickets this time. And now the lawyers are absolutely astonished. They're like, well, what's up with that? And they're like, just wait and see. So, of course, they all get on the train, and now three lawyers squeeze into one washroom, and three engineers squeeze into another. And shortly after the train begins to move, one of the engineers comes out and knocks on the door of the washroom where the lawyers are. (laughs) Ticket, please. You see, we cannot follow or imitate somebody else's path. It just never works. <laughs> my, my topic for my talk today is called Blazing Trails. And I called it Blazing Trails, not just finding your way on the spiritual path. Because blazing to me means fire. And fire to me is symbolic of transformation. Something gets ignited and it changes form. There's a shift. And trail because we seem to be following a journey. We seem to be on a journey. We seem to be following a path of sorts. And so this isn't a talk about the road less traveled. This is a talk about a road we may have never traveled before. Because each day, maybe or every now and then at least, I know I'm called to do something I've never done before. Circumstances, situations arise in my life, and I feel like I'm not equipped to handle this new situation. It could be a change in your financial circumstances, It could be a change in your health, a change in relationships, or a change in somebody near and dear to you. 
And we feel like we have never been prepared for this. And here we are being asked to blaze a trail and we aren't feeling terribly prepared to do it. But I wonder if we're ever terribly prepared for our spiritual path in our own minds. Ernest Holmes, who is the founder of this wonderful teaching of science of mind, said that we are left to make the discovery for ourselves of our spiritual nature. We know that many have gone before us. If you're like me, you may have a multitude of books on your shelves at home, just with all the right instructions for how to live your life. But this is your life, not their life. And so even though they give good guides and hints and clues about what we might encounter, there is something that we must embrace to make our path truly meaningful for us. Joseph Campbell, who wrote the books on myth and mythology and the hero's journey, said, if you can see your path laid out for you in front of you step by step, you know it's not your path. Your own path you make is with every step you take. And that's why it's your path. I talk about my kids a lot. So if you've heard me speak before, you're going to hear me talk about my kids and you're going to hear me talk about them again today. Because they are just great people in my life who inspire me and reflect back to me the very things I like to, to talk about. And... I talked to my oldest son, Nick. Now, some of you know that Nick is 25, and he's in the military, and he has just completed an eight-week course in leadership. And if you've been in the military, you know that in order to get a promotion, you often have to go to these leadership courses. And I, I knew that this might be a bit of a... A challenge for Nick, not because the information would be difficult. He's a pretty bright person, but because he has a hard time sitting still and listening to somebody else talk. And he gets things really quickly, so he doesn't need them repeated over and over again. And he likes it when somebody says they're going to do something, and it happens. And this wasn't the way this course was going. So when I talked to him at the beginning of it, I said, well, you know, how's it going? And he's, you know, I can just hear him groaning on the other end of the phone. But over the eight weeks, we didn't really talk that often. And then when he finally arrived back home again, he called and... And uh, we had a long conversation, and I got to hear some of the ways that he, he got to uh, make this a memorable time for him. But one of the things about Nick is that he is a very thoughtful person, very considerate, and he does like to show his appreciation. And so one of the things that he and his classmates did is they wanted to show their appreciation to their course instructor. And they chose to do this by filling his office with balloons. <laughs> and I immediately had a flashback to a time when I worked in a school and the assistant principal was the sixth grade math teacher, and he set out this challenge to his students to figure out how many balloons it would take to fill the principal's office. And the principal gave them an, a, an ideal opportunity to work on this so that they could prove what they figured out on paper, and he went away to a conference out of town for three days. So they had ample time and access to his office. They had the assistant principal on their side and the office manager. They had a compressor, you know, to blow up the balloons. And they filled the office with his favorite oiler colors. 
So I had this in mind. And as I was listening to Nick talk, you know, he, he shared that, you know, this is the military and you just cannot uh, breach security and enter a superior officer's office. Uh, and so he knew he would have to be very careful about this. But indeed, they did fill this uh, person's office without breaching security. So, of course, you know, when you play a prank like this, you, you kind of want to see how it unfolds, right? So, so Nick arranged to sort of be in the building just afterwards with a camera in pocket and something else, you know, to give to him so that he had a reason to be taking pictures and on and on. And so, of course, he was the first suspect when he, when he showed up at his course instructor's office. And he's like, you know, he called him rescue because he's a rescue technician. Rescue! There's been a breach of security here! And, and, and Nick, is, because he was the uh, squadron leader in the course, he had the keys to the, uh, to the building, but not to this office. And he said, sir, yes, I, I was on duty last night. I did have keys to the building, but I can assure you I don't have a key to your office, and there was no breach of security. And, and he's, the, the guy's looking around. He's like, the vents! You came in through the vents! And, and Nick's there like, sir, our, our, our smallest member of our class is, is too large to fit through the vents, sir. Nobody came through the vents. And then he's like, the walls, the ceilings, you came over the walls. It's a suspended ceiling. And, and Nick's there like, sir, I can assure you nobody went over the walls because even though the other offices have partial walls, your walls go up to the concrete ceiling. Nobody came over the walls, sir. And the guy was absolutely baffled at how they could fill his office with balloons and not breach security by opening the door or using any of these other methods. And so he like says, okay, you know, how the blank, blank, blank did you do it? <laughs> and staying in role, I think, Nick was like, well, sir, there apparently is an instructional video on how to fill your clinical, or your, uh, not clinical, but your course instructor's um, office with balloons. You, and, he, and then he proceed, proceeded to describe what they did. They uh, obtained the correct tool to push balloons under the door, you know, that little crack under the door, leaving out just enough of the balloon so that someone, they didn't have a compressor, someone could bend over <laughs> and blow up the balloons one by one. Now, I don't know if, how, what the other guys look like, but Nick is over six feet tall and he's got shoulders on him like this and I just can't imagine him stooped <laughs> on the floor, probably on his belly, trying to blow up balloons and then using just the right amount of pressure to sort of zing it so it, you know, moves into... <laughs> it's so Nick. He's a prankster. He always has been a prankster. And he always looks for a way to endear himself with the people he's with, whether they're his superior officers or his colleagues. And I just thought, yes, here's a course that gets run back-to-back -back probably constantly throughout the year. So many people in the military have to do this. They just do it over and over again. But you found a way, honey, <laughs> to make it memorable for you and all the people around you. And, and that's hearing your calling and being on your own path. You know, so often we wish that we had an instructional video or a manual to tell us how to do life. You know, especially when things seem to be going askew. So often um, 
you know, we turn down opportunities because we feel like we don't really know or we don't feel ready or am I enough? You know, we have all those questions. And, and so for my daughter, who has just moved out of home and she's been in a job now, her career, for about a year and a half in communications, and um, we, we met, we don't see each other very often because she's getting used to her new life, you know, out, away from home, but um, her brother was playing football Friday night, so we met and went to the football game together. Of course, we're chit-chatting away, getting caught up on everything, and she tells me how her, her boss had called her in to do a career path you know, chat with her. And, you know, did she feel ready to move up to the next level of communication specialist? And, and she's like, how do I know if I'm ready? You know, nobody's given me a list of all the things I need to do. And, and, um, and, and sometimes we don't get a list of what we need to accomplish where we can, we don't get a report card anymore when we're out in life that says, yes, I'm ready, I'm ready. You know, there's no rubric to say, yes, I've completed all the tasks, I'm ready, you know, to move on to the next level here. And so she was feeling kind of doubtful about herself, about whether or not she was ready to step into this. Now, she would like the money. And how often do we, you know, make choices because of the money and we plan our life around someone else's idea of what should happen, but we maybe haven't really come into a full embrace of who we are and what our purpose is and what gives us meaning in our life. So, you know, it's interesting to kind of watch um, how she does this. Henry David Thoreau, who was uh, one of the transcendentalists and uh, inspired Ernest Holmes, said, as a single footstep will not make a path on the earth, so a single thought will not make a pathway in the mind. To make a deep physical path, we walk again and again. And to make a deep mental path, we must think over and over the kind of thoughts we wish to dominate our lives. And although... And I think it's true for me and and, and maybe for you that our deepest desire is to find the path to a meaningful existence. It is sometimes our human nature to seek the path of least resistance. We prefer to take one sure step to find what we want rather than taking many uncertain steps to find what we really need. And so often it is that as we're reading uh, our our self-help books and our spiritual books and listening to speakers and, you know, watching TV and videos, that we get a great idea. And it just inspires us and we feel so good and empowered. But if we don't do anything about it, the next time something happens in our life, we're still back at square one. What we need to do is make a commitment to uh, training ourselves, training our mind, training our thought, training our reactions. And we train by pouring into that subconscious mind the ideas that we want it to grow. We plant the seeds of our thought. We impress upon it into our subconscious mind, which Ernest Holmes describes as the law of our being that simply says yes to all of our creative ideas, well, any idea, not just our creative ones, any idea, and makes it so. 
And we need to have sometimes a system, systematic way of doing that for ourselves so that we keep reinforcing, making that path, taking the same steps over and over again. Because if there's anything that we know in this teaching is that the thing we do over and over again is what we become. So then how, how do I carve out my path of existence, of meaningful existence? And You know, sometimes we watch how other people do it. But remember what Joseph Campbell said. If I see a path, it's not my path. We need to create our own path. And we do it step by step. And sometimes we're reluctant to take that step because of our uncertainty about all kinds of things. Have you been watching Oprah's life class these last two weeks? Anybody? Oh, I see one hand. I checked it out. And what I think she's doing in this life class is exactly what we need to do as we carve out our spiritual path. And that is we need to get acquainted with ourself, with this self. We need to get acquainted with who we are how we react, how we respond, what raises us up in joy and what, you know, angers us, what challenges us, what what invigorates us and and what leaves us feeling sort of so-so. We need to get to know who we are and how we are. And I think that's what Oprah's really doing in her life class is each day, Monday to Friday, she has a new lesson and she chooses one idea to give people about something they need to do to get to know themselves. The very first class she had, she talked about the ego. I thought that was an interesting place to start, but it made a lot of sense because we all have an ego. We all have a spiritual aspect to ourselves, but we're having a human experience and we have an ego, an ego that is useful because it has kind of a survival mode to it, but it kind of can get in our way because it doesn't like us to change. It likes things to stay the same, and it's very materialistic. It wants us to have things, and sometimes it gets in the way when it overtakes us and we no longer hear that inner voice. So we learn behaviors for our survival, and sometimes we learn false things that we think we need, that we think we need that much money or this many people or that job or this car. We think we need things and we behave accordingly. Another one she had was that we need to learn to find our calling and believe in it. And she had great guests on um, on her Oprah show over the last 25 years and she brings in clips of people and I remember when she had Jim Carrey on the first time many years ago and he talked about uh, how he wrote a check to himself and put it in his wallet do you remember that and he visioned about you know having all this money and and earning a great income being an actor And he wrote that check and he put it in his wallet and he would just kind of allow himself to sort of soak in that vision and be that presence. And so he revisited that with her in the past um, 
uh, last year of her, or her regular season. And I remember that show, but I remembered him writing a check for $1 million and putting it in his wallet. When I watched him and she replayed it, he actually wrote a check for $10 million. And he put a date on it, Thanksgiving of 1995. And he shared that it was um, just before Thanksgiving of that year that, in fact, a check for $10 million was written out to him for, of all movies, Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) There's the paradox, you know. (laughs) And he talked about how he just believed that this was going to happen. There was just something in him that really believed. She also interviewed J.K. Rowling, and of course she is the author of the Harry Potter series, and she's got a multi-billion dollar empire you know, um, that has formed because of this. And she talked about the times when she was, you know, an unemployed uh, single parent, I believe, and uh, all she knew is that she could write. She'd been writing since she was a young girl, and she knew she could write. And that's where her belief in her was, was that she could write. So when she was sitting on a train uh, held up at a station, and all of a sudden the ideas for this story of Harry Potter started to flow and she had no pen and no paper, but she knew she could write and she started to write down all of these ideas and the stories just formulated and one thing came after another. And it was her belief that she could write that kept her going, going to publisher after publisher that turned her down and finally finding the one that published it. And then, of course, everything unfolded from there. Because the key to hearing our calling is to pay attention to what's going on in our lives. To be still and know that I am God. That's what it says in the Bible. And so to be still and hear that voice. Because when we're focusing on things going outside, on outside and what's not working, sometimes we miss what's going on inside. Sometimes... Our teachers, our signposts, our guideposts show up as challenges. They show up as people we don't want to be with, people who are behaving badly maybe. But they're still our teachers. And there's a reason for them to be in our lives. And our job is to pay attention and listen from the inside for what our calling is in that moment. Oprah talked about anger and letting go of the past because when we hang on to anger, we really can't be present. Our anger is usually tied to something in the past. So when we're in anger in the past, we're not able to be present with what wants to happen in this moment. She talked about knowing the truth and the truth will set us free because sometimes when we're the lawyer following the example of the engineers... Or when we're looking at celebrities or when we're, we see a path and we say, oh, I'll follow that path. We're not being true to ourselves. We're following somebody else's idea. And we are lying to ourselves. We're pretending. And Oprah talked about how she pretended to be Barbara Walters when she started out in television and interviewing people. And how Oprah could look like Barbara Walters, I don't know.
but she would, you know, dress the way Barbara Walters dressed and sit the way Barbara Walters sat, try to talk like Barbara Walters. And then she realized, I'm not Barbara Walters, I'm Oprah Winfrey. And so then she started acting like Oprah Winfrey, and look where that got her. So untruth blocks us from all that we were meant to be. So we have to let go of the lies, the pretending, and the pretending of trying to be somebody else. She says we need to learn from our mistakes. We all make mistakes. We're supposed to make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. But remember Oprah's tagline, it's almost her tagline, when you know better, you do better. You make a mistake, you learn something, and you do something different next time. That came up time and time again in her show. Taking responsibility for our own life, making things happen, even if it's difficult. You know, response and ability go together to make responsibility. We can't always um, manipulate what happens in the world, but how we respond to it we do have some control over, and we can take responsibility for how we respond. So I had a great opportunity on Friday night at that football game while I was ch chatting with my daughter about her life, and my son, the younger son, was playing football, and uh, it was early in the second half, and we were talking away, and I kind of had an eye on the game, of course, and then um, I realized that the play had stopped, and one of the players had taken a knee. And things didn't move very quickly. And so then I was looking more closely and um, I couldn't see who, it was a player from our team. I couldn't see who it was. And I'm looking at all the other players standing there knowing my son was on the field at that time. And I couldn't see him anywhere. And then, you know, you had that feeling, oh, it's my kid that's taken a knee. And, and things just, you know... All of a sudden, you, you get all those thoughts and those feelings, and you just want to rush down there and, and everything like that. And um, he was literally on one knee. He wasn't flat out on the ground, uh, so that was good. <laughs> and, uh, and then he did, you know, stand up, and, and I could say, okay, he's moving his legs. He's not limping. Arms seem okay. But he was sort of walking, you know, really carefully, and I'm thinking, oh, you know... Did he see stars? Did he ring his, get his bell rung? Or, you know, what, what happened? And I, and I just kept an eye on him. And he sat down at the bench and he started drinking water and people were around him. And, you know, he, he seemed okay, but he didn't play anymore. So, of course, I was so grateful that my daughter was there and I had somebody to talk to. And I'm so grateful that I have spiritual practices that kick in and help me to remember the truth. The truth that this is God expressing. God expressing as Adam. God expressing as Adam playing football and doing something that he absolutely loves to do. And knowing that everything is in divine and perfect order. And, and just keep breathing and letting it go and not allow that other chatter to enter the conversation. So, of course, at the end of the game, he didn't play anymore, but at the end of the game, when the team all, you know, crosses the field and comes out, I'm standing there waiting to talk to him, and I'm like, you know, what happened? Are you okay? And he's like, yeah, Mom just got my bell rung a little bit, but I'm okay, so could you meet me at the school and, and have a, a Subway steak and cheese, you know, ready for me? <laughs> yeah, you're okay. <laughs> We get to take responsibility for how we respond. 
And one of the most recent ones she talked about is that we get to use our life to serve the world. That we have a purpose and a calling. And instead of idolizing somebody else, it is up to us to be who we were meant to be. And the best way to honor that is to use that purpose and calling to serve the world. And so that is what we are called to do. And as we do that, and as we step into that, we take a step that becomes the carving out of our meaningful path of existence. And so often, um, when I'm asked to do a naming or a welcoming ceremony, it's such a wonderful opportunity to set an intention with parents to honor this new life, this child that has come into their life, and to help them remember the perfection and the wholeness and the completeness that this child represents. And to set that intention, not based on old thinking that said we were all born sinners, maybe that was part of your growing up, it was part of mine, but to shift into that place of, as Ernest Holmes would say, first cause, of remembering the highest truth of who and what we are. And setting up the intention for the relationship of how parents will show up to love and support and nurture their child to discover who they are for themselves and to be a model for that belief. You know, if, if I'm one hand and the child or my partner or uh, a colleague, a friend or a stranger is the other person in my life, you know, we're kind of meant to dance, to be beside each other, sometimes further apart, sometimes closer together. But we each can have uh, be a reflection to each other. But if my goal is to really... Uh, manipulate or control or, or um, influence that other person, then what happens is that we come right up against each other. And as I try to, you know, impact my, impress my ideas, you know, what happens when we push? Something pushes back. And it's a totally different relationship than when we are there to be a reflection, to model, to, uh, to love and to nurture unconditionally so that we may do this together. The Buddha said, if I could throw away the urge to trace my patterns in your heart, I could really see you. If I could throw away the urge to trace my patterns in your heart, I could really see you. I could really know myself when I'm with you. Remember that as you enter the forest, Joseph Campbell says, at the darkest point where there is no path, where there is a way or path, it is someone else's path. If you follow someone else's way, you are, going, you are not going to realize your potential. Ernest Holmes said that the science that we practice here in the science of mind is based on the theory that there is a universal mind and an eternal spirit from which all things spring. You, me, all things. The spirit is the creator and sustainer of all that is. You have immediate access to this divine mind and this creative power. 
Man has access to the great whole and we draw as much of power from this source as we are capable of intelligently using. But we are not the power. We are the avenue through which the power flows. We are the avenue. We are the path that God uses to experience this life. The trail left as the wake is the evidence of your existence and the ripple on the planet, the effect of your presence on this planet. You are the path. The path that you are is what you have become, what you have accepted, and what you have claimed as your own. Our spiritual path, the trail that we blaze, is the unfoldment of our own realization of our wholeness. So we don't have to get rid of our imperfections. We can embrace life and all its messy parts. And all we need to do is cultivate an unconditional acceptance of this presence of who we are and no longer battle with ourselves. So I encourage you to notice, to pay attention to who you are. What's your calling? What makes you angry? What rises the joy up in you? Who are you? And be that person. There is only one world pressing against you at this minute. In this one minute in which you are alive. This minute. And by accepting each minute as an, unre- as an unrepeatable miracle, you stay focused and attentive to what is happening right now and being who you want to be. So I encourage you to develop the resolve and the effective practices that awaken your heart and your mind that allow you to hear your calling, let go of the past, recognize the truth, and live in that freedom each moment. Thank you. Namaste.